And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday. On the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, we follow up asking our questions about stretch bigs with asking if it's time to drop the drop in defensive coverage. And we also talk about what happens when you rush the process. This is Nerdish You Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. And welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. That means this is Nerder She Wrote. That also means I'm Dave DeFore. I think anyone hosting this show, even if someone's filling in for me, has to say that they're Dave DeFore. I think that's in my contract. I'm here every week with Seth and Mo. What's up, fellas? Everybody doing well? Doing well. When I hosted the show that one week you were off, I, I did not say I was Dave Dufour, nor will I if I have to do it in the future, Dave. And Seth will just host it next time because Seth knows knows the deal. Uh, everybody stay – well, I don't know if the polar vortex is hitting you out in California, but it's, oh, no, like it's nice 18 and degrees here. Nice, beautiful, and sunny out here in L.A. I think it's we're going to get like a nice little 70-degree day here. Yeah, yeah. Should I take uh, a picture Seth, of the sun for you in, guys? How's that in Milwaukee? <laughs> uh, cold. Yeah, yeah, pretty cold. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Seth, uh, you, you just wrote at The Athletic in the analytical look around about drop coverage. And, and you asked the question, and I think it's an important one to ask, you know, especially given what we watched in last year's playoffs and how drop coverage was treated in the bubble generally. Uh, is it time to drop the drop, Seth? I think it's much more of a situational thing. Um Part of the problem, it, it, it is uh, problematic. Let me say problem a few more times in a row. Uh, in, in the playoffs is uh, like the pull-up three, the, 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 the self-created off-the-bounce three is actually still pretty um, a rare shot just in terms of which players can take it. Um, I think uh, something like five or like 10 players were responsible for about 20% of the total self-created threes taken in the NBA last year. Um, and those are the players you think they are. Um, but those are also the players you tend to come up against as you go down to the play in, into the playoffs. So yeah, you're playing against, you know, Brooklyn, um, any, any possible iteration of a, of a ball screening action they run. Um, those are, there's three guys who are just going to, you know, going to tattoo you if you let them step into threes. Um, and a more general point is, um, it's not just the number of threes that, that teams are shooting. It's the number of players on the floor. And even relative to three years ago, teams are, are certainly employing four guys who are willing to let fly and much more frequently five. And so if you're, you know, you're dropping your big back, all of a sudden, if they have five shooters on the floor, you've essentially already put yourself in rotation without, the offense really having to do anything and rotation is bad for a defense and you want to avoid it. 
So it's just kind of the the the, the rock paper scissors nature of the strategy is is moving away from that being an, an all the time thing. Now, if you're playing, say you're playing against the Celtics and they have Tristan Thompson in the game, sure, drop. Like if right. he wants to space to the corner, great. And if he wants to roll the rim, great. Um, so you can do that against them. It's just it's recognizing situations where it's not appropriate against opposing personnel. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because it's like there are guys you want to go into drop coverage with and you're okay with. And then there are just guys where it just doesn't make sense. You alluded to the Nets and all three of those guys, right? Like you don't want to do drop coverage against them. It does it. Those guys are going to pull up that three that we're talking about. Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, all those guys. But there was something you didn't touch on in there, Seth, in, in, in your look around that I think is another reason why to drop the, the drop coverage. And it's the cross back. Guards are getting so much better at crossing back and now taking advantage of the drop. And that puts them in a situation where they can go at the bigs and, you know, they have the guard behind them. And then, you know, we talked about the the bigs popping more, but now it's a two on one when that big delay rolls after the crossback because now he's got the bigs got to figure out who to go to and who to defend in that sense. And I think that's kind of a, a problem with we're seeing with the drop coverage even more. Like I think, you know, you touched on it with the floaters and that was a great quotes there between uh, coach Bickerstaff and, and, and coach Budenholzer about the, 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 the different philosophies on it. And, and you went deep into uh, Bickerstaff's quotes, but there was one thing I thought that was really interesting in, in Bud's quote, which was, you know, that, you know, the entire league has grown in this area because drop coverage has been around now. You know, it's not new. It's not something, you know, it's, it's several years old. It's it's the iteration of center field that's basically mm-hmm. the, the worst version of center field. I like center field way more than I like drop coverage because I think you just don't it, it's explain the difference. Well, it's, it, you know, center field, your big is up and he's playing both the ball and the roller buying time for the, the guard to come over and, and, you know, either the guard to come over and get back in front of the ball or late switch. But it's, it's buying time, but you're not conceding ground, whereas drop coverage – the guy's waiting for them. You know, the big man's waiting for them in the paint. But I think, you know, that opens the door to the cross back and makes it more easier for these guards to cross back and gives them more options. It makes it easier in the in the sense. I'm not saying center field would eliminate the cross back at all, but it would just make it a tighter area to, to, to come back over. And I think that stuff is interesting. And then, you know, Bud's saying, like, the entire league has grown. The everybody's gotten more looks at it. And I think we're seeing more and more of it. The floater game's getting better for some of these teams, still not a great shot and, and still not something to live, live off of, but it's definitely something that I think we're seeing more and more of. Yeah. I, I think that that's a great point that you just mentioned uh, about the growth of the game and growth of players. I, I wonder how much Seth, and, and you know, I don't even know how we'd find numbers for this, but I wonder, yeah, the, of course the three point rate is part of this. But how much it is just the guys have so much more skill now. Like, I mean, you look at the league five years ago, there just wasn't this much guard skill out there. And these guys are able to do things like Mo just mentioned and snake pick and rolls and take advantage and put the bigs in a disadvantageous position. Um, You know, I mean, certainly it's a combination of factors, but what about the skill part of this game? Maybe that's just as big a piece as the threes. I think it's 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 both the guards, but I think it's it's just perimeter players in general. I think 
I, I remember back one of the first shows we did, we talked about like situations where like Dorian Finney-Smith, like, you know, a three and D wing for, for Dallas is making like, you know, backside reads coming off a secondary pick and roll. And that's just like, like, you know, I'm trying to imagine like, you know, early in Danny Green's useful career, like for the, you know, on, on the 2013 Spurs, Danny Green making a one hand right. pass to the opposite corner out of a pick and roll. And that's just, you know, it's half a decade. And now it's, 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 you know, uh, that, that the, those, those kind of reads are just so much more widely dispersed uh, across the league. And, and some of it I'm sure is reps. Some of it is, is the skill level is, has gone up. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you that, 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 you know, unsurprisingly, as more of a premium is placed on skill, players become more skilled. <laughs> right. Well, it makes you money. Yeah. Well, it, no, and it's know, also the, the players who get is, selected. Well, that's true. But that, I mean, again, it makes you money. But, you know, the other thing is drop is an extremely conservative defense, right? I completely understand. Like you are essentially, you're saying we are going to concede certain types of shots and we're going to live with that because we know that the numbers work. And that's why, you know, like drop probably is not going away. I mean, maybe this version of drop, this extreme version of drop that's less center fieldy. But I, I think that that's why you see it so much in the regular season. And then we watch it bomb in the playoffs. But I think it's something that it's not going to go away and it shouldn't go away, but it's something that pick and roll defense in general is you got to mix your coverages up, you know, because again, the players are so smart now. And so it's, it's almost like that scene from the original Jurassic Park where the Raptors are testing the fence and looking for the weaknesses. And once they know, okay, this team's going to stay in drop cool, this is how we're going to counteract. I mean, you know, it opens up opportunities for other things. I mean, hell, it, it, it opens up the lane for the Gortat, which I just did on the uh, uh, One Mo Thing video this week. You know, it covers it covers that. I mean, it allows the, the, the big now gets to go screen his guy originally to create the lane. I mean, it, it, it just makes these things a little bit easier. But I just think teams in general are better served if they're able to switch these things and say, hey, you know, in a timeout, we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to show, okay, now we're going to go to drop in the next time out or, you know, whatever, just switching these things I think is the more valuable thing is when you stay in the one coverage, no matter what it is too long, eventually you're going to get burned by it. If you're playing a good team. That's a, that, that's a great point. I mean, Eric name and I wrote about the Bucks specifically and, and uh, the thing that, that we noticed looking at, at some tape of that is um, part of the reason why, Sort of that the, the more center fieldy version works is the 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 guy guarding the ball having pressure from behind to sort of you know you get a kind of a hammer and anvil thing going on where they where where you know the the point guard defender is pushing the guard into the, and not letting him have time and space to you know to cross back to snake the pick and roll to operate in that area make him make decisions faster um, and what what you know the, the counter to that is sort of okay we we're, we might set the pick a little higher up the floor and instead of like coming off that screen at 100 miles an hour i'm gonna saunter off this screen mm-hmm. so if the if the if the you know the big is back even if i'm you know one of the clips he used was from norm pal norm pal is not like a dead eye pull up three-point shooter but if you let him be prepared to okay i'm gonna i'm gonna saunter off and shoot a warm-up jumper three off of the screen that's a shot he can make and so knowing it's coming allows him to come off that that screen in second gear 
And now if you don't, if you get, if you, you know, your, your guard gets stuck on the screen, doesn't get the backside pressure, that's just a stepping into a wide open shot. Whereas when it was like a, a sometimes thing, not everyone was doing it. Okay. I got to come off the screen hard, turn the corner. And like he's right. coming off the screen, turning the corner and running right into the, the teeth of the defense. So just right. that those reps of, of knowing what speed to play at as an offensive player. Yeah, I just think that it's it's the football analogy, right? Like it's not just blitzing the quarterback, but it's blitzing in different ways so that the quarterback has to figure out the reads and things like that. And and okay, they blitz from the corner this time. Okay, no, oh crap, it's the linebacker. Oh, they didn't blitz and you know, whatever. It's it's you just need to buy yourself that extra second defensively to get the guy so when the guard comes off the screen, oh crap, they showed they were in drop last time. Damn it. You know, and now I got to do something else. And that by the time they their their brain makes that read, hopefully the 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 defender can get get back in time and and and, and release the big. It's just just got to change it up, man. I just think teams stay too solid in one thing. So we're seeing it with the Clippers. I've seen it with a bunch of teams, and I'm just like, got to start being more willing to change. Yeah, and I again back to the regular season defense thing. I, I think that a lot of it is drop coverage is just it's a simpler coverage. It's less physically taxing coverage. Um, and it's I think it's this easier is, for the base. And it, right. And I think that part of this has to do with the fact that the season's so long, and that's why you see so much of it in the regular season, right? It is a good – like if you have good defensive players, you can defend at all-time levels in drop coverage in the regular season. We saw it with the Bucks. It's basically all they did last year, and they were fantastic at it. But then when you get to the playoffs, they don't have reps doing other stuff. And, and Mo, I know that reps are a big thing for you. Like, this is oh, what, Honestly, is. we probably talk about getting reps in the regular season for the playoffs more off the podcast than on the podcast. And I know that that's a pet peeve. So, I mean, how much ideally Talking would teams off the be mixing up their peeve. coverage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yes, texting with you guys is a pet peeve. Um, <laughs> the, but but how, much should, how much ideally – and I, of course, you know, I, I'm not asking you to come up with an actual answer, but – but ideal scenario, what should teams be doing? Because I know, like, look, man, you you work for Greg Popovich. And, and that man is the best regular season lab chemist in basketball history. I mean, he, he uses it to try stuff, to see what's going to work, to build rotations. Well, how could teams do a better job of mixing in their, their different coverages so that they're ready for the playoffs? Well, I think some of that just goes to the nature of being willing to do it. You know, listen, coaches in general are just stubborn. Yeah, like that's just the, the, the main fact of it. We're going to keep playing this way. We've all seen the quotes from the same coaches over and over again. No, no, we just got to do it better and harder, you know, kind of stuff and things like that. It's, it's, it's a willingness to make that change, to, to make those adjustments and things like that. And and it's the willingness to, hey, we're going to drop a game trying to do this and get better. We're going to stay in this zone, even though it's even though we're, it's not working right now. We need to see it. So I have film so I can look later and see what the problems are or whatnot. And, and, and it might hurt us in this regular season game. Easier to do when you're a team that, you know, is going to the playoffs and you're a team that's fighting for the playoffs and and all that stuff. And that's that's a pod for another time. Sure. But I think this is all part of it. And and this year is harder because there's no practice. You know, a lot of teams aren't practicing with the whole thing and and, and the the pandemic and everything that's going along with it. So it makes it a little more difficult. So it's like if you're not doing this in games in the regular season, I have no faith that when coach turns to you and says, OK, we're going to start showing on these Kyrie pick and rolls. 
you know, the guy's going to be like, we haven't practiced this. And you know what? Some guys, you might have guys who are so great with basketball IQ and things like that. They can pull it off, but most can't. And you need the reps to have that and have that understanding. And it's not just those two guys in the pick and roll defending it. It's the help behind it. It's knowing who's tagging the roller. When I tag the roller, who's rotating to my guy and where am I going after that? It's all of those things. So I think it's a a, a very challenging thing. But there's also one more thing and, and it, I want to touch on from Seth's story because I thought this was really great too, was the bluff aspect of it too. Because that's an important part. Because being able to just – it's not a shot you want to live off of in that mid-range, the floater or the or, or the mid-range pull-off, but you just need to make enough. And I, we, nobody knows the number. You just need to make enough to make the defense have to go, crap, I need to be up more. And then from there, it's it's a whole different game. It's, I mean, it, it it's, you know, I, I like to make poker analogies because I like poker, uh, but it's, it's the concept, you know, known as balancing your ranges. Like if you only, okay, the, he goes all in only when he has aces. You're pretty easy to play against. You're mm-hmm. you 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 win you win the blinds if you have if if you have aces because you win all and everyone's like oh he's got aces and they all fold. That's not great. Uh, what happens now? Okay, he only goes all in if he has aces and seven two offsuit. Well, he's he, now you're going in way too much because you know you'll get seven two offsuit more often. And so well, I'll just call it every time because you know. I, I can not look at my cards and know I have I have on average better hand than he does. Um, so so somewhere in between there is sort of the the baby bear um, where you're deceptive enough to make people worry and wonder and react uh, and but not like so deceptive quote unquote that you're making bad plays often. And that's you know that's we've we've talked about this a number of different ways when we talk to the mid range. It's again, it's it's the ideal number of mid range is as is just enough so that the other team guards it and no more. Um, and finding out what that level is is I would say from an empirical standpoint, it's impossible. But it's just yeah, that's that's what we're going for. You're doing that like you said, Mo, to open up the dump off to the rim, to open up the the pitch to the corner. Um, and it's it's it goes against everything we know as basketball players, as basketball coaches. To um, oh, he just hit that floater, to, that fourteen foot runner twice in a row. Maybe I need to just take an extra step up. Where if you really got into the math of it, probably like yeah, go ahead, hit 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 twelve of those in a row, then we'll talk. Uh, mm-hmm. But but just the natural reaction is you want to take that one step up, and now you just got dunked on. And that's why the dunker spot is so important. Against drop coverage. Shouts to two of our favorite podcasts in a row. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, Seth, you know, one of the things that really, like, kind of caught me off guard, you have this uh, this graph chart um, where you track the average three-point field goal attempts per 100 possessions by lineup and then individually by each player in the lineup. Yeah. And, and I know that this sounds nerdy and please everybody just go to the athletic and, and look at this chart. But I was shocked that the lowest man in the lineup in the 2007, 2008 season was 0.2 three point attempts. Like that tracks in my brain. The idea that it's now two attempts, meaning the lowest number of three point field goal attempts per 100 possessions on average in any given five man lineup is two. Everyone in this league shoots threes now. Just that's just it. It's like this is a three point league, but I am shocked that the number is that high. 
No, I think that, and and even like I said, even from four years ago, just you look at like you know, it's mostly like the fourth and fifth shootiest players in a lineup tend to be the four and five, but it's not always that way. But it tends to be, and you look even at just those spots on the floor, how much more those players are shooting, both on like an like an average basis, but also just in terms of of who's in the lineup. Um, like there are people who are credible shooters four most of the time now, five a good chunk of the time now. Whereas, like you said, you know, 10 years ago, there's two and a half, three. And that's just such a it's such a, a a a big difference in in the amount of space that a defense has to worry about at any one time. If you have four guys spaced out and you have to guard them all, that's a lot different than a guy you can ah well okay he's spotted up at 18 feet on the baseline. You don't want to give up that shot, but you're okay with that shot. There are 27 guys in the NBA averaging seven three-point attempts or more this season. In the 15-16 season, which was Steph Curry's unanimous MVP season, there were eight. Some of that is pace. like the, but, Of course, but, certainly. You're getting yeah, more shots yeah. up. But – but, but the, I mean, the three point, like yeah, we know this, yeah. we're not, we're not breaking new ground here that, Hey, guys are shooting threes, but I think that it does to me, put in perspective why the drop coverage ultimately is not, that's not like championship defense. I, I don't think you're going to win a championship it, playing drop coverage. It can be part of, but it can't sure, be the only thing, but it can't that's, be exclusive. That's, that's the thing. And, 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 and there are teams we know that exclusively go to drop coverage. I mean, Philly's a team that does it with Embiid. Like that's a, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be a problem for them come playoff time, you know, and that's a concern. And, and, and this is the stuff that you, you got to figure out as you're going through it. Now, luckily for Philly, they have some long arm guards <laughs> that are yeah, going to fight it, it helps over if, the picks. If, it helps know? if Ben Simmons is the guy getting the backside pressure because he's 6'11". So that's, that's, Not even right. that, yeah. you know, go look at, there's yeah. a clip. I'll send you guys the clip. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it with this, oh, but there is a clip of Matisse Tybel in, in the game Shake against Milton? Sacramento. Yeah, these are big, long-arm guys. You, you know, and, and, and he covers the drop. You, you know, he he actually got screened, and Embiid did a good job of not giving up too much space to Fox, who was tearing him up all game until the fourth quarter, and, and Thibel was able to recover, and it just made a huge difference. And I think that's the balance Teams are going to have to figure out. But, I mean, you're right, Dave. It's, if it's solely your defense, if that's your number one, you're going to have problems. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so I texted you guys the other day about the the Mavericks, and you know, looking at the roster, and, and it got me thinking a little bit about the process. Now they they got Luka Doncic, who is, I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. 
This guy may go down as one of the greatest players of all time. I mean, obviously, this is very early in his career. I'm just projecting high end for for Luka Doncic. And when you have that sort of player, there certainly is a lot of pressure now. Like, we got to start winning now. We already know that people are talking about the clock ticking on guys one year in the league. I mean, I've literally seen that about Zion Williamson. Um, Yeah, that's frustrating. But but there is – you know, like the process has been derided and also lauded in Philadelphia. The you know tank until you get all the picks and get good players, and then you build up from there. Can I give a quick aside? There, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I the Philly, the players that Philly came up from that. Yes. How would a team whose rotation was Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid? I'm doing this from memory, so I might miss a couple. Christian mm-hmm. Wood, Rashawn Holmes, Robert Covington, T.J. McConnell. Uh, and I'm forgetting one or, one or two others. Like that's a pretty good team. So oh yeah. Like okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, and, and they so drafted by, like well, no. I mean, I don't know if they drafted well or not. That's certainly con- like a controversial thing. But they drafted and signed a lot, and mm-hmm. and that was the point. Is like hey, right. no one's actually that good, that much better at this than anybody else. So let's just do it a lot, and we'll come out ahead. And it take take a, a more works. bites at the apple. Yeah. Anyway, absolutely. Right. But their process, they had a process, right? This is our plan going forward. We're going to take a ton of bites of the apple. Well, it got me thinking about Dallas because I think Dallas may have rushed their process. They're not the only team. They're just the one that I thought of first. And we, we of course, talked about some other ones. But when you look at Dallas getting Luka Doncic in the draft, I don't think they expected to be in that position, right? They kind of lucked into that, lucked into the trade fortuitous for them. They make the Kristaps Porzingis deal. And now all of a sudden you're a different team than you were when you were just the the team that was able to draft Luka Doncic. And, and maybe you're going to be bad for a couple seasons as you build around him. But now you're a team that's spent money and has okay players and, and you're expected to, to compete. Um, I, I think that this is not necessarily a good thing for them. I think it's probably a bad thing for them long term because it feels like they tried to speed the process up and may have gotten themselves stuck in a bad place. I, mm, I I'll go I, Seth. I'll go yeah. Seth. I'll go Seth. I disagree. Okay. And, yeah. and 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 here's and here's why in the sense of first off, the Sixers rushed the process. Right. They kind of threw it out and made trades to go get Jimmy Butler and things like that. And 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 they had gotten older in the process of spending a ton of money and things like that, you know, it, it, in that sense. And it, and it didn't work out. And we know that whole story. When I look at the Mavs, Dave, they're still a very young team. I know they mm-hmm. spend a lot of money and there's not, you know, you know, the, the Porzingis contract looks rough with, with the injuries and, and, and his injury history and stuff and things like that. He's slowly getting better. I'm feeling a little more and more confident. In, in how he's looking as a player. But I think, you know, at the time of the trade, it was we're pairing him with another young guy, you know, and these are going to be our, our cornerstones. Now, we can argue whether you should have done that with Porzingis or whatnot till our, our faces turn blue. But that was their bet. I don't feel like they were abandoning their process. And I feel like the moves they've made since all make sense to me. It may not pan out, but I can go, no, that move makes sense. It's not a move where I'm sitting there going like, I can see their line of thinking. I'm not sitting there going like, what the hell are they doing? This was dumb. 
why did you do this? This is a scenario. And I think they're in a position where it's like, look, they're, they're tied to these guys. They're hoping injury bug doesn't kill them, but this is, this is the scenario. And I still think they're going to be able to make moves. Do you not think that there might've been a little bit of utility for them to go a couple of years in the lottery? I mean, like, I understand that maybe they, maybe Luca is good enough that he keeps him out of the lottery. I don't know. No, because um, you're but, you're going into the lottery to try to get like, okay, injury stuff aside, maybe they like, you know, hindsight twenty twenty, maybe they they misevaluated like the the health risks for him, maybe they didn't, and it's and they've they've hit like you know the fortieth percentile outcome or something like that, um, but you're going into the lottery because like I think you know Christoph Porzingis has like kind of quote unquote healthy Christoph Porzingis is an all star player, true or false. True, it's probably true. Yeah, or, or is is at least in that discussion of player. He's in what, that discussion. Sure, you're, you're going into the lottery to get that. You might get that. Yeah, right. Like you hope to, to get bites of getting that. So so trading to get that, that's fine. Um, there's some sort of bad luck there. Then there's there's questions you might ask about some of the fill in moves around. I mean, the one that like the, like our Mavericks people would would point to probably is like is is Dwight Powell's contract is 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 the big mm-hmm. one for a guy who who kind of doesn't really fit like modern NBA basketball yeah. like a like a, a and even pre injury yeah a non shooting yeah. non rim protecting four is a tough tough uh, tough tough place to spend money. Uh, in in the modern yeah. NBA, so but that's you know I don't know if that's a that's a rushing of the process so much as you know a misevaluation of a specific player. And then um, when you look at I, Dallas, oh, I'm sorry, sorry no, I, no, I was gonna, but I was gonna say it's, it's like if you're if you're like, I kind of want to the team they played last night. We're recording on Thursday. The team they played last night, um, the team I would be more worried about having rushed is Atlanta. Yes. A lot of long-term money. A lot of long-term money for guys who, you know, okay, fine. Like Bogdanovich is hurt. What? Like that's, you can't hold that against him, but still like. Oh, I'm going to on It's my turn. Go ahead. You know, I, I mean, no, but it, I mean, <laughs> you, they, they may have paid too much for him regardless of that. And then like long-term money to, you know, you trade for Capella, long-term money for Gallinari. Now you have this weirdness with John Collins and, um, you know, it turns out that DeAndre Hunter is actually good. Um, and, and now you have this kind of weird log jam at positions and you've spent all your future flexibility. Um, and you know, you're, you know, you're giving a lot of money to guys who are, you know, Bogdanovich is not young. Gallinari is not no. young. Um, right. is it, by the way, is it, it, in retrospect, it's maybe a little worrisome that you signed Gallinari for all this money. And then he's like, Oh sure. I'll come off the bench. Um, right. That's, <laughs> no, I, but that's not a hero there. Uh, but like, so first, just to conclude on the Mavs here real quick, the, yeah. the there are only two games right now, as we're talking Thursday, you know, of, uh, well, this being is more about the their ceilings and like two and up. Yeah. I think they're going to yeah. be fine long-term ceiling wise and things health, you know, working out the way it, it hopefully does. So I'm not worried sure. about them. I'm a hundred percent on board with Seth on the 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 questions for the Hawks and and rushing their process because it's it's not even that they went and got these guys, it's how they're using them. And I get it, McDonavich is hurt or whatever. But even when he wasn't and he was healthy, 
he wasn't playing on the ball as much. You know, it was more Trey Young still doing all his Trey Young stuff and then kicking it to Bogdanovich. I thought they were going to change things and and they were going to change their offense a little bit and and have Trey Young work more off the ball. And and you know, we we're seeing Leafs with the young kids that they probably weren't expecting to see. And now it's like, okay, now we have a lot of guys in a position. The, the Gallinari thing, I know he's in a minutes restriction and, and things like that. And fine, he's 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 okay with not starting, which was I'm with Seth kind of weird. The he doesn't even get shots when he's in the game. I forget he's in games. It's you're not even using your guys. You went and you rushed the process to get all these guys and then you're just not using them. I don't right. understand. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. That, well, how about a team that maybe has rushed the process but has done it well? How about the Phoenix Suns? Because there's an argument to be made that signing Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, which, by the way, both signings, I mean, or the trade for Chris Paul and the signing of Jay Crowder, uh, both working out wonderfully. But this team, I, I just think Booker being farther in his career is the difference there. I think Phoenix has done a good job of kind of maybe not even rushing the process. Maybe this was all in their plan all along, but just saying, hey, look at what we just did in the bubble. Look at what we were doing leading into the bubble. These two pieces could actually get us into a better position, and they still maintained their their true like long-term flexibility is still pretty good. I think Phoenix is a, a good example of a team that said, hey, we're going to throw some chips on the table and and speed this up a little bit. I I don't see. I kind of reject a little bit that they rushed the process a little bit. That they're they're one of these teams. Part of it is you said it. You know, like Booker's deeper into his career. It's it's what I don't know. I don't have his contract stuff in front of me. But what is he a free agent in two years or or, or three years? I know he's had the extension and and mm-hmm. you know. So it's like okay, that's that's actually a ticking clock versus right. you know, what people say, maybe Zion, who's like in his second year in the league. And by the way, when he is a free agent, it's going to be restricted. And I'm assuming he doesn't already sign the extension. It's like, I, I highly yeah. doubt New Orleans not is going to let him go. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a different scenario in that sense. So for me, it's not even them kind of rushing the process. It's our time is now. And that's the 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 time has okay, come John to Cena. put the chips in the middle. Um, you threw a wrestling reference in there, and I completely flummoxed. So, um, you know, uh, I'm not wearing jean shorts. That's the only thing I know, or jorts, or whatever the hell he wears. Yeah, um, leave Josh Helson out of it. Now I'm way lost. Um, but now you're. But 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 Phoenix is saying like, look at what we did in the bubble. Our young guys are ready. Let's push the chips in the middle and let's upgrade. And it's not like they gave up that much they really did to get chris paul you know and and it's not like ricky rubio was a spring chicken you know right. <laughs> he was there for one year and they're <laughs> like look we did this with rubio imagine what it will look like when we have a better guy and exactly. and, and and that's kind of the the plan there and then the the crowder coming in it, it wasn't a to me it wasn't a rush process job it was it was a jump start it was yeah it, it, it was let's go it's go time mm-hmm. let's go it was the the the, the starters gun went off for them and they said hey all right, let's 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 make this thing happen. And I think that's why I'll push a little bit on Phoenix in that sense. But I love what they did. Well, and this is so I think they were pragmatic. I'm not saying that that they were rushing. I'm saying they were jump starting. All right, maybe that's a better way to say it. But I think that 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 sort of pragmatism would have served Dallas and Atlanta a little bit. I mean, I, I just think that seeing what the landscape looks like after you've 
you know, had a guy for a year or two or three kind of kind of matters. And, and you know, it isn't to say that I, I actually like the fact that Dallas and Atlanta want to be good. I think, you know, this has actually been a really good season if you're anti-tanking because, I mean, even Oklahoma City, we can't say that they're tanking because they play too well. I mean, they, they just yeah, push the Lakers to overtime. Really wants a different well, story. Sure, but, you know, but still, they have good players <laughs> no, and they're, they're playing. playing hard. They're playing. And, and to me, like, that's great for the league in general. But But I do think that pragmatism, when you have long-term success goals like Dallas and Atlanta, I mean, they want to be perennial finals contenders. And it's just hard to do that when you jump the gun. Like if you take the first offer you can get, you're usually not getting the best one. And I, I wonder if that's an issue for them. Now, there are a couple of teams that I think are are being very patient and somehow still coming up gold. Before we go there, before we go there, I don't think they've jumped the gun. I think okay, Dallas, Dallas, now it may and not You don't think Dallas out. did, but you think Atlanta did. Oh, I 100% think Atlanta did. Sure. But I, I think Dallas just, just – may have made the wrong calculation on Porzingis, sure. but I don't think they jumped the gun. That's the oh, way I, I don't even it. think their process was bad on getting Porzingis. It's not about, you know, like, of course you, you sign a player and he has injury issues a little bit out of your hands, but, sure. but to a certain degree, I, I wonder if they had waited a year, if they might not be in a better place now, because, you know, you didn't necessarily know what you had. They'd be in a worse place. Could be in a worse place. You're right. But uh, the two teams that I think have done a really good job of, of being pragmatic, and of course, they kind of have to just given the markets, but you mentioned Oklahoma City. I mean, just using using their assets to get more assets that they're going to have control over because it's a small market. You're not signing anybody. And Memphis has just been, I mean, just doing a great job of using their available draft capital to get players that are good and can play. I mean, it, it, that's it, that's kind of it, it's amazing to look at the difference between Dallas, Phoenix, and Atlanta, and Memphis and Oklahoma City. Of course, bigger markets, small market dynamics at play there, but Memphis and Oklahoma City, to me, their their pragmatism is going to pay off in a, in a similar way without maybe having a, a Devin Booker, a Luka Doncic, or or a Trey Young. Although I do think, well, John no, Morant I think is, I think that's no, John Morant's in that. He's in that conversation. No, I, I think the fact that that you you know you're you know it's a it's a supposedly one player draft and the second player in the draft is John Morant and he's great and right. Shea Gilders Alexander is looks like um, he certainly looks like someone who's going to be uh, on all star short lists for you know years to come. So that you know have, starting with that sort of shot creating building block is. Uh, it helps. It, it, it certainly mm-hmm. allows you to, um, especially if you're not on like a rush timeline, you know, it doesn't seem like, um, you know, Sam Presti has job for life. So, so he can operate on whatever time frame he wants. Uh, you know, the management in, in Memphis is, is new, it, you know, this is their second year. So they, they certainly have a lot of runway in front of them and, and, with how they perform so far, there's no doesn't seem like there's any sort of hot seat action there. So that, um, like, yeah, I think you do have to acknowledge that there's there's a certain um, dynamics that you know maybe didn't exist in in. I think that I think it's fair to say that that Atlanta probably had a little more pressure on them to be good now than Memphis and Oklahoma City did. I don't, not even probably. Like, I think we can definitively say that, um, especially with respect to Oklahoma City, and so that. You know, recognizing that those uh, 
that, that impetus is there doesn't absolve right. you for you know not you know for for not doing smart things, but it just it, it, it helps to understand why certain strategies were decided upon. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we yeah. talk about this all the time with coaches that are GMs, right? Like the the, the GM is always going to try to help the coach in that in that situation, at, at sometimes at the expense of teams. But it happens with GMs as well, right? Like GMs are always going to try to keep their jobs for the most part. Uh, so, of course, he's going to, you know, they're going to go throw money and and try to, you know, fill needs. I mean, look, I actually think Bogdanovich in Atlanta makes a ton of sense. I like Gallo for that team. Uh, it's just that the the money is a lot and the length of the deals are a lot. And then like Mo mentioned, well, at this point, we kind of can say we don't really know what it would look like. But when everybody was there. Bogdanovich was playing completely off the ball. And so you're just. You're, yeah. And it made no sense. You're, so, you know, you're paying you know, it's just, $18 million a year for a. Uh, an okay spot up shooter, mm-hmm. and right. that you could yeah. could have gotten that at a discount elsewhere. And I think no, Langston Galloway's on a minimum, you know, uh, in Phoenix, right? And, and, but but Seth touched on something that was really important there too. It's 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 having that job security and that longevity. And another guy that we should mention too is New Orleans and David Griffin, who also has you know a a, a good runway in front of him and time and things like that. And I think all three of these teams all are in that situation where they can build slowly and there's no time clock. There's no rush to really make something happen right now. You know, uh, part of the problem for the Hawks was, you know, Lloyd Pierce came out last year and said, they're going to make the playoffs in this season. So that's, I mean, first off as a coach, you never make that guarantee, man. You come on, man, under promise over deliver. But the, 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 the whole, you know, thing, but that put that, notion in the owner's eyes all right well let's go now and now they've spent a ton of money we got to go so now you're in that situation oklahoma city memphis and new orleans are all different scenarios in that sense of they're not going to be a free agent destination maybe new orleans more than the other two but i think all that matters in how they build and they have all these assets now draft assets and things and and really new orleans and oklahoma city it's how do they build from that and it's going to be just kind of, I think for them, it makes sense to be patient and let's go and things like that. I think for the other teams that made moves, 
for the most part, all of them made sense to me. I just think the Hawks are screwing it up by not playing their guy when they could running running a system that makes sense. But it's, overall, it's just like, man, there are times where we've seen teams jump the process like the Sixers team, and it was like, yo, that's too soon. Your guys aren't ready. Something with New Orleans that, that I think is interesting. I wonder, and again, I'm just thinking out loud here. I wonder if there's some some internal pressure this summer to to make big upgrades because of, I mean, Zion, to be honest with you. Not just that the clock is ticking or whatever people are going to say, but they want to put him on national television. Now, I don't know if that, I mean, Seth, you, you could probably speak to this a little bit better, but could you feel like, do you think that the team could feel pressure to try to be better because of that, those sort of expectations? Um, I, I think that, that the, the difference, as Mo talked about, is there, there's a difference between a guy being in the second year of his rookie contract and a second year of his, of his second contract is pretty huge. Like there was, um, you know, it wasn't always uh, straightforwardly acknowledged, but the elephant was in every room with Giannis. Um, and, you know, you, you're not, you're just not under that pressure with a guy in a rookie contract. Just be mm-hmm. just like you have as, as the team, you just hold so many extra cards in that scenario. Um, the, I mean, I think that the interesting thing with New Orleans is they're sort of, we're, we're kind of seeing them as, as sort of in the process of shedding their skin. Like you do that, you do the holiday trade uh, for what they got for holiday. You do that, you know, a guy not on your timeline, Absolutely. Uh, you know, you get Great that deal for them. Yeah. You you make that trade, you know, 12, 12 times out of 10. The effect of that trade, though, is that like this year, your team is a little weird. Like we've talked, mm-hmm. we've talked right. about this before, like, and, you know, we I, both on the pod and on Twitter, like they're starting lineup, they're starting their five best players and there's five guys who want to play four styles. And so it doesn't really work, but that's sort of what you ended up with. And that's not the finished form of the team. Um, you know, you're you, there, there's a lot of figuring out where the pieces go. And right now it doesn't fit. It doesn't mean that they're done. It just means that right now the pieces don't, don't fit. Um, you know, to, as to illustrate that, I mean, I, I'm, you know, in, in the middle of my shot quality series, um, I, I did kind of a quick and dirty shot model, uh, based with the, the stuff you can get off. Just the way I time. like it. What's that? Quick and dirty. Just the way I like it. Quick and dirty. Quick and dirty yeah, Let's go. That's, that's, that's how I want all my shot models. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the second tape title you've dropped today, by the way. Uh, uh, um, uh, anyway, um, so uh, among players who've, who've taken uh, at least 200 shots this year, the guy who's taking the most difficult shots on average is Carmelo Anthony. The guy who's taking the second most difficult shots on average is Brendan Ingram. And with like – that doesn't totally make sense – to have one guy who's who is who is forced to take shots that difficult for a team like that, but I think it, that is illustrative of them trying to figure out how things go. And I think we've talked about not loving the ISO BI offense and and wanting to do more to you know involve Zion and, and Ingram in the same plays and and so on and so forth. But the point being, I think that not totally worrying that it's. You worry about it, but it's not like, oh, no, our team doesn't make sense this year. We're doomed. It's like, no, we're, you know, this is we're in season. We're in we're in like version 1.5 of this of this team. And next year it'll be version 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to figure out who they are. They're they're still they don't know who they are yet. 
They're 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 freshmen in high school, you know, kind of level. Like they're just trying to figure out who they are and where they're going from, what they're going to be down the road, and that's fine. Um. Okay. Well, as we wrap up, uh, kind of like we do almost every single week. Utah. Go to Utah. Yeah, I'm 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 getting us to Utah. That's how I'm wrapping up. Oh, my bad. Okay. All right. All right. Now I got to put that in the notes. thought it was a section um so as we wrap up as, as we do you know just about every week uh we want to talk about some of the things that we're, we're kind of looking at in the week ahead and seth you brought up a really great point um before we started the show and it goes back to our conversation about the denver nuggets last year which to be fair i i can understand people were a little bit upset in the, I don't know, I'm not going to say we infantilized them, but we certainly treated them like the kid brother. No. But they, they graduated no, from that. No. They graduated we, from that. No, we, like, I, I was describing. We collective. The, yeah, we, we collectively. Yes. I was just, I yes. was describing them a certain way. I wasn't actually. Yeah. I, I was not actually patting Denver on the head. I was saying we right. collectively. Anyway. The collective we. Yeah, the collective we. Um, and, and you mentioned Utah as a team that we may be collectively patting on the head. Um, I don't, I disagree with you. I think if you're 20 and five, like you're a good basketball team and hold on, uh, and, and, no, no, hold on. No, no, no. But I'm saying, I think that the, that what I've seen has mostly been people potentially even over respecting the Utah jazz much, much less so than just patting them on the head. And, and I mean, they're a good basketball team. I think they're getting, I think they're getting legitimate praise, Seth. I don't think it's just, oh, you're cute. And I do think they're going to get mollywopped by the Lakers, but they're still a good basketball team. That's Seth. that, and that's that's it. That's it. <laughs> and no, and, and 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 the thing is, is, I can't disagree with you at all. And it's, right. and, and so it's um, it's and that's one of those that's just the weird things about this season is Utah is great, and then they're going to play LeBron or Kawhi in the playoffs, and they're going to get windshielded. Like uh, I would say, just LeBron, not not Kawhi. I don't. I I I think this Utah team can beat this this current iteration of the Clippers. Yeah, I I'm like not, the way they match up. I just I I I think Utah's got a better chance against this this iteration of the Clippers because when you look at the Clippers, they don't get anything easy. There are never easy shots. They don't average mm-hmm. a ton of free throw attempts. They don't. They're in the bottom twenty five, I think, in points in the paint. They don't run as much. They now, listen, make it a point guard, whole different story, then I'll, I'll I'll decide. But this current roster, even with Beverly coming back and things like that, I'm not I'm not convinced this team's gonna beat Utah in a play in a seven game series. They have two guys that Utah has nobody to guard. That's that's it's that it like it, it comes- But they play a better brand of team basketball than this Clipper team did. And this is the exact conversation we had in the Boston Miami series last year. And this is a team that understands themselves better. They have a better flow with each other. They all, for the most part, have played together and have more continuity than this Clipper team. And I think that's something I'm not calling it now. I'm sure. just saying I'm not I'm not convinced when we're talking getting Molly. Well, Lakers are a different story. Lakers sure. are another deal. We're, we're talking about that. I think that at very least is a very, very tough series for the Clippers, despite the fact that you're right, Seth. Utah doesn't have an answer for those two guys. You know, but I'm I, with you, Mo. I, I, I think that's I, like a toss up. 
I think I think that is a much tougher series than the Clippers. Now, if they their offense has, I have a lot of questions about their offense, and that's going to be something I'll have down the road. But the the when I look at this Utah team, you know, and and, and maybe they are a pat the head. Oh, it's cute deal. But the team we did that to last year went to the Western Conference Finals. Like, that's a good ceiling for you. I didn't have Utah making the Western Conference Finals at the beginning of this year. It's, is it worth noting that Denver had a losing record in the playoffs last year? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I, no. No, I'm just, you know. Oh, no. They got just to the Conference wah, Finals. Wah, wah, yeah, wah, wah. Yeah. Like, yeah, they failed up. Congratulations to them. Uh, Congratulations to us for finishing the show. That's going to do it, folks. Uh, For Seth, for Mo, I'm Dave. Thanks for listening, as always. And we'll be back next week with more Nerdishy Road on the Athletic NBA Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.